Hello, everyone, and welcome to the November 24th, 2019 edition of the Consumer Review Report. I'm Diane Rebecca here on WMCK.FM Internet Radio. So, I hope everybody got through the week unscathed and without any product or service mishaps. But if you happen to want to talk about a product or a service, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in the Keysboard. Also, if you'd like to give us a review on a particular product or service, you can also email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. All right, welcome to the show. If you're a first-time listener, we deal with consumer issues. We talk about consumer news and sometimes we do reviews on a product or service. So... Welcome to the show if you are a first-time listener. And uh, so this week, we're going to focus on some consumer news that has been happening lately. Uh, First, we'll talk about the trouble that Johnson & Johnson has been in regarding their talcum powder. Now, I'm sure that you've seen the malpractice commercials on TV about talcum powder being linked to ovarian cancer. Um, I myself often wondered, you know, when I saw those commercials, how could talcum powder possibly cause ovarian cancer? Well, apparently asbestos gets in mixed in with the talcum if they're not careful. And, um, and uh, still lately, well, and, and this has happened maybe a couple years ago. And so they're saying that the asbestos was in the talcum powder was causing the ovarian cancer. Uh, Now, lately, the FDA continued to find asbestos in the J&J baby powder. So I think last month it was J&J voluntarily recalled about 33,000 bottles Uh, because the FDA found traces of asbestos. So there was an article in the November 20th Wall Street Journal that explains what's been happening with that and how the asbestos gets in to the talcum powder. Also, with Black Friday and Christmas shopping coming up, uh, I'll talk about how the trade and tariff negotiations may impact those, as far as will prices be higher, will there be product on the shelves, etc., etc. Now, I don't normally get into politics, but this does have an impact on consumers. So we'll touch a little bit about it, but, you know, we'll just uh, figure out whether or not we're going to have a good Christmas season or not regarding these trade negotiations. So that is all coming up after the weekly recalls. So let's go ahead and get to the recalls. All right, so we start with consumer product recalls. 
The first one is Flying Tiger. Copenhagen recalls crocodile candle holders due to fire hazard. The candle holders are flammable and can catch on fire, posing a fire hazard when the candle burns down. United National Closeout Stores recalls isometric exercise devices due to projectile hazard devices are sold at Burlington stores and uh, the handle grips on each can break during use and cause parts to be forcefully ejected from the shaft posing a risk of injury from impact to the user or bystander. Dexsource recalls Kuchik porcelain due to violation of FHSA labeling requirements and it's a risk of poisoning. The product contains the hazardous substance, a substance uh, oxalic acid. All right, now this is a cutic porcelain and they're recalling it because it contains a poison. The label on the product violates the Federal Hazardous Substance Act by omitting the word poison and printing the mandatory hazard statement for poisonous chemicals on the back of the label instead of the front, posing a risk of poisoning if swallowed by children. B&B acquisition recalls wintergreen essential oils due to failure to meet child-resistant packaging requirements, also, also a risk of poisoning. The product contains uh, a poisonous substance which uh, must be in child-resistant packaging as required by the Poison Prevention Packaging Act. The packaging of the product is not child-resistant, posing a poisoning risk if the contents are swallowed by young children. Now, if you have any concerns that you have this particular product, uh, or any of the products that are mentioned during the recalls, you can go to www.recalls.gov. You can click on the link that you are concerned about and it will tell you what you should do with the product, whether you should turn it in for a refund, what websites to visit, what phone numbers to call, and to get the concerned product out of reach of your household. All right? So, uh, on with the recalls of consumer products. Grace Digital recalls Eco Boulder speakers that can overcharge and burst. This is an impact hazard. The speaker's battery can become overcharged and burst, posing an impact hazard. Scarpa North America recalls ski boots due to fall hazard. The ski boot shell can crack, posing a fall hazard and a risk of injury to the consumer. Resurre Resurrection Beauty recalls wintergreen essential oil due to failure to meet child-resistant packaging requirement. This is also another company that sells that same wintergreen essential oil. So uh, the product contains the same poisonous substance, which must be in a child-resistant packaging as required by the Poison Prevention Packaging Act. The packaging of the product is not child resistant, posing a poisoning risk if the contents are swallowed by young children. Alright, so let's move on to the food, medicines, and cosmetics. This is the um, FDA recalls and safety alerts. So let's start with Go Raw LLC 
recalls one lot of Quest beef because of possible salmonella health risk. Um, they are recalling its two pound frozen bags of Quest beef cat food because they may be contaminated with salmonella. All right, so there's a couple of companies still recalling the heartburn and uh, relief and prevention medicine, retinidine. Um, they, there it is, those are Golden State Medical Supply, Precision Dose, and Amnio Pharmaceuticals. They are all, uh, this recall has been going on for a couple months, various companies, um, as you can, uh, as you know, probably by now, but if you don't, it has a, uh, it's been tainted, I guess, if you can call it that. It has the potential presence of NDMA, which is classified as a probable human carcinogen, a substance that could cause cancer. So all these companies for the last couple of months have been uh, recalling their retinidine, or I'm sorry, renitidine <laughs> products, and they are, this is commonly used to relieve and prevent heartburn. So, um, you know, this is not new news, but still, it's still going on. More companies are continuing with that recall. All right, uh, let's see. Select varieties of Breakstone Cottage Cheese are voluntarily being recalled due to the potential presence of foreign matter or foreign material. Uh, Selective varieties of Breakstone's cottage cheese are voluntarily being recalled due to the potential presence of pieces of red plastic and metal that may have been introduced during production. Uh, Mandalay's Global LLC conducts voluntary recall of limited quantity of cheese nips, 11 ounce boxes. So cheese nips products in the U.S. due to potential presence of foreign material. So we'll look out for those cheese nips, the 11 ounce boxes. They are voluntarily recalling a limited quantity of cheese nips, again the 11 ounce boxes, product in the United States due to the potential presence of a small food grade yellow plastic piece or pieces from a dough scraper that was incorporated into the production process. Euroline Foods LLC issues alert on undeclared sulfites in dry fruit mix, uh, Keens Compote. Uh, dry fruit mix, Keens Compote uh, are being recalled. It's uh, the 17.65 ounce, 500 gram packages because they contain undeclared sulfites. Consumers who have severe sensitivity to sulfites run the risk of serious or life-threatening allergic reactions if they consume this. And the, next, the last one for the FDA recall safety alerts. Allergy alert issued due to undeclared egg in Whole Foods Market brand Raspberry Cheesecake Italian Gelato. Whole Foods Market is voluntarily recalling one lot code of a Whole Foods Market Raspberry Cheesecake Italian Gelato because these products units contain egg that is not listed on the product label. People who have an allergy or severe sensitivity to egg run the risk of serious or life-threatening allergy reaction. 
Okay, so on to the FSIS recalls. We have some big ones in the news this week, but we'll start with Bruce Pack recalls ready-to-eat chicken sausage products due to misbranding. So Bruce Pack is recalling approximately 55,550 pounds of ready-to-eat chicken sausage products due to misbranding. Now, here's the big one in the news. Um, now this is from the New York Post. Over 75,000 pounds of salad in 22 states recalled an E. coli outbreak. A New Jersey food company has recalled more than 75,000 pounds of packaged salad after seven people were hospitalized with E. coli, the U.S. Department of Agriculture announced Thursday. Mesa Bay LLC issued the recall of 75,233 pounds of the bagged salad products sold at Walmart, Target, and Aldi, fearing the romaine lettuce may be contaminated with the bacteria after an investigation by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. A total of 17 people, one a three-year-old, has been infected with the E. coli strain in eight states, according to the CDC. <clears throat> Seven people have been hospitalized and two developed a type of kidney failure. There have been no fatalities. Two people in Maryland reported eating the chicken Caesar salad produced by Misa Bay before being hospitalized. As part, as, uh, part of an outbreak investigation, the Maryland Department of Health collected a package of Ready Pack Foods Bistro Chicken Caesar Salad from a sick person's home <clears throat> and found it tested positive for E. coli. A full list of the recalled products is available online and applies to more than 30 packaged salads with the same lot of romaine lettuce believed to be from a farm in California. And again, you can go to www.recalls.gov, go under FSIS um, recalls, and under Mesa Bay, you can click on that link and it probably gives the whole list of things that you need to look out for. The salads produced from October 14th to 16th have been shipped to 22 states, Alabama, Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Virginia, and Wisconsin. So, <clears throat> something to look out for. Uh, here is another newsworthy item, I guess you could say. Morris Meat Packing recalls pork products produced without benefit of inspection. Now, it's probably not going to hurt you if you have this product, but they want to make sure that all foods are inspected before they go to the consumer. So here, Morris Meat is uh, recalling approximately 515,000 pounds of various raw intact pork products that were produced without the benefit of federal inspection and outside inspection hours. Uh, Yinamoto Foods North America Inc. recalls chicken fried rice products due to possible foreign matter contamination. They are recalling approximately 172,692 pounds of chicken fried rice products that may be contaminated with extraneous materials, spe specific <laughs> specifically pieces of plastic. So, 
Now I have an addition to the um, to the um, the salad recall that what came out actually Friday. Um, they're actually saying now, in addition to the salads, uh, they're saying this came from the USA Today on Friday. E. coli, uh, e. coli outbreak alert. Do not eat any remain lettuce from Salinas, California, CDC says. So they're not only targeting these prepackaged salads, they are saying no romaine lettuce from Salinas, California. So the day after federal health officials announced a recall of select salad products, they issued a safety alert to include romaine lettuce harvested from Salinas, California. Then on Friday, they advised consumers, the CDC did, uh, advised consumers not to eat and retailers not to sell the lettuce harvested in the California region, including whole heads of romaine, hearts of romaine, and packages of pre-cut lettuce and salad mixes, which contain romaine, including baby romaine, spring mix, and Caesar salad. Most romaine lettuce products are labeled with a harvest location showing where they were grown, according to the CDC. Now, if it isn't labeled with the growing region, don't eat it, the CDC advises. Now, the Food and Drug Administration and the CDC are investigating a multi-state outbreak of E. coli infections linked to the lettuce. Forty people have been infected from 16 states, according to the alert. So, they're saying um, uh, Wisconsin has the most cases with 10, followed by Ohio with 5, California with 4, Idaho, Maryland, and Pennsylvania each had three cases. So the illnesses started September 24th, and the cases have been reported through November 10th, the CDC said. The ages of the sickened range from 3 to 89 years, with the median age of 22. So they're saying, I, I'm pretty sure that they're saying that, um, well, according to the FDA, Romaine lettuce that was harvested outside of the Salinas region has not been implicated in this outbreak investigation. Okay, so anything outside Salinas, don't have to worry about. But if you have something that was grown or harvested in Salinas, uh, you might have a little bit of a problem. Okay. All right, so that'll do it for our recall portion of the show. Let's get into the um, J&J, Johnson & Johnson problems that they have. Okay, so you may have heard this but we'll, or saw it on TV, but we'll give you a little bit of a recap on what's going on. Uh, take a listen at this. Attention women, medical studies show that talcum powder products such as Johnson & Johnson's baby powder or shower to shower are linked to ovarian cancer. If you use talcum powder and were diagnosed with ovarian cancer, call the experienced attorneys at Allen Berger & Associates. You may have a claim for money damages. If you or a loved one used talcum powder products and were diagnosed with ovarian cancer, call Allen Berger & Associates at 526-2222 for a free consultation. Call 526-2222. Okay, so that'll give you a little bit of a recap on the Johnson & Johnson talcum powder problems. Now, recently, as I said, about a month ago, the FDA still continues to find traces of asbestos 
in um, J&J baby powder. So J&J voluntarily recalled about 33,000 bottles. All right. So um, why don't we listen to that um, description? Here we go. Johnson & Johnson announced on Friday that it's initiating a voluntary recall in the United States of its popular Johnson's baby powder due to low levels of asbestos contamination. The recall, which is limited to one lot of baby powder bottles produced and shipped in the United States last year, comes in response to a U.S. Food and Drug Administration test that found levels of chrysotile asbestos contamination in samples from a bottle purchased online, according to the company. People with a bottle of the Johnson's baby powder from lot number 22318RB are advised to discontinue using the product and contact the company for a refund. Curtis Silva for CBS Local News. Okay, so after the FDA found the traces of asbestos, um, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, let's see, what date was that? It was November 18th issue. And the FDA found traces of asbestos in Johnson baby powder earlier this year, prompting Johnson & Johnson to recall the 33,000 bottles of the product. Now, when they did that, they did its own testing. And what the Wall Street Journal says, uh, they concluded that the product is asbestos-free. Um, but they're saying Johnson & Johnson, Johnson & Johnson rushed to test its famous baby powder last month after the U.S. Food and Drug Administration found asbestos in a bottle and triggered a recall. The company announced 11 days later that independent testing had found no trace of the contaminant. But J&J's push for a rapid turnaround contributed to results that were more complicated, a review of lab reports released by the company shows. A Pennsylvania lab hired by J&J uh, deviated from its normal process to meet J&J's timetable, adding a testing room normally used to analyze gunshot residue in crime investigations according to letters. J&J received from the testing company and released. Initially, the lab found trace amounts of asbestos in some samples of Johnson's baby powder, but later determined that the second room was contaminated by an air conditioning unit, according to the letters. Repeat tests in the lab's normal testing room found no asbestos. A second lab that J&J hired in Georgia told the company its preliminary testing found no asbestos. It hadn't completed its tests when J&J announced on October 29th that no traces of asbestos were found. A letter from that lab shows. J&J said it is continuing to investigate, including with ongoing sample testing, and will provide an update in due course. J&J is defending lawsuits from nearly 100,000 plaintiffs over product safety and marketing, including 16,000 suits claiming its powder caused ovarian cancer in women who used it for feminine hygiene and a rare cancer known as mesothelioma in people who inhaled it. J&J says its talcum powder is safe, asbestos-free, and doesn't cause cancer. Plaintiff's lawyers have sent the FDA's powder findings to a federal judge who is expected to decide in coming weeks whether there is enough evidence for a majority of the lawsuits to proceed. Now, I have a video clip here, Johnson & Johnson's baby powder scandal. J&J has to set aside $100 billion at least for litigation. And this was posted December 18, 2018. 
Let's take a listen. Johnson and Johnson, I want to get to this story, defending itself from a blistering report that says that the company allegedly knew about asbestos in its baby powder products. No. The company took out a full-page ad to say that it's t that the, its baby powder is safe. Judge, would you make, because again, if you go through what is happening with this company, the stock was down 3% Monday. It was down 10% on Friday. There are, there, I, there are literally hot thousands of claims. There are almost 12,000 claims over talcum powder, um, talcum-based body powders. Well, the, Johnson & Johnson self-insured, so I don't know how much they have set aside for litigation, but it better be in the billions because you just can't even imagine the level of harm caused to people, mainly women and also to their babies who, uh, who used this. The knowledge of the presence of asbestos gives rise to punitive damages as well as compensatory damages. Well, there were 22 women in one trial that were awarded $4.7 billion. Right. And, but I want to point out that, that Johnson Johnson has said the science and the facts are on our side with this. They came out with and a report. And the plaintiffs have changed their tactic because they were originally saying that this was related to ovarian cancer and now they're using mesothelioma, which is caused by asbestos. The, the, the issue is that the plaintiffs have a variety of expert reports and they don't all agree. And now the J&J has come out with an expert report trying to blow away these plaintiffs' ones. That had some beneficial effect, as I understand it, on their stock value yesterday. But when you get into a courtroom, is it, it is essentially what we call a swearing contest between experts. Which expert do you believe, J&J's expert or the plaintiff's expert? The more credible expert will prevail. There, some of the trials, there have been 18 cases so far, some of them that J&J has actually won. Some have gone to mistrial. And, but this is, the journal pointed they out, lost. this is what happens. Yeah, and they, they lost. The losses have been huge. Right. When I say billions, they have to set aside $100 billion, I think, at least for their litigation expenses. But the journal pointed out, this is what happens when a company decides, rather than just settling quietly, that they go to trial. Yes. Because they thought, and, and so the bigger issue is, this is a company that's based on safety. Right, so even right. if you win a majority of these cases, what does it do to your brand reputation? And that, that you can't even quantify and that. What does that do to the stock price? Yeah, exactly. It's supposed to be a safe stock. Right. So much for that. And it's supposed to be a safe product. Again, I'm old enough. We're talking about Laverne and Shirley Tate. I'm old enough to remember when J&J had a big scandal, unfortunately, with that Tylenol tragedy. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah, but that was not J&J's fault. And I would think that, I mean, that, that is a hallmark of how to handle, cri yes, that, uh, handle that a crisis handled, in crisis That management. was handled brilliantly. This one, I don't know where it's going to go, but it's going to be expensive. Yes. Thank you, Judge You're welcome, guys. <laughs> Okay, so that's uh, pretty much where they're at as far as the talcum powder. And we've been seeing those commercials for years. And this is how slowly um, things happen as far as litigation and everything like that. But going back to the November 18th issue of the Wall Street Journal, they do explain how asbestos can be mixed with the talcum powder. And here's how they explain it. Talc, the basis of talcum powder, and asbestos are naturally occurring minerals that can be found near each other in the earth. The FDA says talc can be contaminated by asbestos if mines aren't selected carefully and talc isn't sufficiently purified. 
Asbestos was widely used in construction, but is now known to cause cancer. All right, so that gives you a little bit of news of what's going on with Johnson & Johnson and their products. So I hope that clears it up a little bit about what's been going on. So on we go to what is going on with Black Friday and the Christmas shopping as far as how are the trade negotiations going to impact that? Um, that's a good question. I was wondering that myself. And like I said, normally I don't get involved with politics or anything like this on that sh on the show. Only things that have to do with consumers. But I do feel like this can have an impact on shoppers around Black Friday and Christmas shopping. But also, you know, in the year to come or the two years to come, it could have an impact. So let's uh, see what happened Let's see, this was posted August 14, 2019. And this video clip uh, says, Trump delays tariffs, a relief for Christmas shoppers. So let's go ahead and take a listen to that. A tariffs delayed. President Trump delaying his tariff threat on $300 billion worth of Chinese goods. Items including cell phones, laptops, video game consoles, computers, some clothes and shoes. Items usually found on Christmas wish lists. President responding to retailers' fears that tariffs could wreck holiday sales. Tariffs were supposed to begin on September 1st, now delayed until December 15th, putting off for now higher prices for shoppers. Reality TV spilling into real life drama. A federal grand jury indicting Atlanta TV star Todd Christmas. Okay, so that gives you a little bit of news on what happened in August. And the, the tariffs were supposed to be um, in place by September, but they said, well, let's give the Christmas shoppers a break and let's delay it to December 15th. Now, here's a video uh, clip on that was posted November 8th that gives a little bit of an update about what is going on with the um, tariffs up to this date. So let's take a listen. A potential new stumbling block in the way of a U.S.-China trade deal. Reuters saying an agreement between the two countries to roll back tariffs as part of an initial phase of a deal faces strong opposition inside the White House. Kayla Tausch joins us with the latest. Kayla. And Melissa, it's something that we've been hearing for weeks. There's quite a bit of posturing going on in this home stretch of the phase one deal, which a month ago uh, was believed to be fully negotiated. It just needed to be written. But now there's some nuance about what happens to these tariffs, recent tariffs that came in September and might come in December, as well as the tariffs from back in 2018. Here's what was said in just the last day. Uh, you have Larry Kudlow, the head of the National Economic Council, telling Bloomberg News that the first phase one deal, if it were reached, would would include a rollback of tariffs. Then Peter Navarro said that there was no final agreement. It is up to the president and saying that there was no decision on whether those tariffs would be rolled back. And this comes after China's commerce ministry in an overnight briefing Thursday said that there had been an agreement to roll back certain tariffs on a scheduled timetable and that that was a requirement for the deal. This, of course, comes as we await news on where and when this deal will, in fact, be signed. It was expected to be signed next weekend at the Apex Summit, which was called off by host country Chile because of unrest there. We learned yesterday from Reuters that the U.S. and Chile are discussing co-hosting a rescheduled Apex Summit 
in the U.S. in January. But two senior administration officials tell me they want the two presidents, President Trump and President Xi, to get together sooner rather than later to sign this deal. They acknowledge next weekend might not be a feasible deadline, but they still believe that January might be too much of a delay and that those intervening weeks could present unnecessary risk to the deal. All right, so that's a little bit of a recap now. I did find an article in the November 20th Wall Street Journal. It's entitled, Stalled U.S.-China Trade Talks Raise Threat of Another Impasse. And they go on to say, trade talks between the U.S. and China are in danger of hitting an impasse, threatening to derail the Trump administration's plan for a limited phase one pact this year, according to former administration officials and other following the talks. Both sides remain divided over core issues, including Beijing's demand for removing tariffs and the U.S.'s insistence on China buying farm products nearly six weeks after an agreement in principle was announced by the White House on October 11th. China is going to have to make a deal that I like, President Trump said Tuesday at a cabinet meeting. If we don't make a deal with China, I'll just raise the tariffs even higher. The administration has been very clear about the changes it needs to see from China. Now China has to decide whether it is finally prepared to show real progress. Uh, and then uh, they go on to say that uh, the only constants in these negotiations are the Chinese backtracking and reneging and Trump standing firm on his principles and his tariffs. Uh, and then those are the key uh, things that are going on with the, with the uh, trade negotiations, they're saying. The Chinese embassy didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. Mr. Trump in October laid out a framework that involved large ag agricultural purchases by China, along with tighter Chinese intellectual property rules and a currency pact in exchange for tariff relief. At the time, the president said a final deal would be finished in three to five weeks. Since then, there have been few signs of progress. Looming now are plans by the Trump administration to impose 15% tariffs on smartphones, toys, and other products on chi from China on December 15th. The levies are expected to directly hit consumers as Mr. Trump gears up for its 2020 re-election campaign. Not everyone is pessimistic, though. Some say the delay reflects the challenges inherent in even a limited accord. Talks also hit an impasse in the spring when the U.S. accused China of backing away from earlier commitments. The pact being negotiated at the time, however, was far more comprehensive than the much narrower agreement deal now on the table. Although limited in scope, U.S. business groups see the current Phase 1 agreement as the key to unlocking Chinese concessions before advancing toward more meaningful economic overhauls by Beijing. These groups believe tariff rollbacks are a key to any deal. China, for its part, is reluctant to commit to buying a specific amount of American agricultural products, the Wall Street Journal reported last week. Still, the Trump administration can't easily abandon the talks and impose more tariffs on China because such a move would risk hurting U.S. farmers further. U.S. agricultural exports, exports to China collapsed when the trade war heated up last year, 
with Beijing raising tariffs on such goods and directing companies to halt purchases of American commodities. In recent weeks, China has stepped up agricultural purchases again as the two sides move toward a limited deal. Last week, it said it would allow chickens from the U.S. to be shipped to China for the first time in four years. And so the Wall Street Journal also goes on to say the challenge for Mr. Trump is that farmers and key farm state lawmakers are largely happy if a phase one deal leads to China again buying large amounts of U.S. agricultural products. But if a deal falls through, China could again shut off its purchases and send U.S. prices into a new tailspin. So those are the issues that are on the table. And it looks like you go, can go out and hurry up and shop, I guess, until December 15th. And it's hard to say once they say, okay, tariffs are going up, does it immediately impact? I mean, does smartphones prices go through the roof on December 16th? I don't know how all that works. But, you know, if you get your Christmas shopping in before December 15th, then uh, you should be safe, uh, it looks like. But, um, you know, all these trade stuff that's going on, I mean, you know, the agricultural... Um, sector of the country could either really benefit or really be hurt and so we're teetering on the brink now it sounds like where you know okay China's going to go ahead and buy more agricultural products from us but then tomorrow they could just shut it off like a tap and it's not like companies just decide on their own you know what I don't want to buy agricultural products from the United States, I want to buy it from somewhere else. The government actually directs the companies, do not buy agricultural product, U.S. agricultural products, if they so uh, think that uh, you know, the company shouldn't do it. Whereas here, you know, we the government can't tell companies, don't buy <clears throat> from wherever, but China can do that. So, uh, you know... I mean, that could, uh, then the tap would be shut off and uh, the farmers would suffer. So, yeah, but on the other hand, you know, uh, China is going, their uh, economy was going through the roof. I mean, they're benefiting from the concessions that the United States is giving them. And so, you know, now that they are, uh, they're actually a very competitive economic power, power now. Um, you know, so we have to get something for ourselves as well. So, yeah, I mean, you know, with any negotiations and, you know, that it'll take time and everything. But I have another video clip. It's called America vs. China, Why the Trade War Won't End Soon. Uh, it's it was posted by The Economist. And actually, it was uh, November 14th was when this was posted. So let's go ahead and take a listen. The world's leading superpowers are locking horns. Game on here. A trade war between the United States and China is here. Over the past 16 months, America and China have been trading blows through tariffs on goods. We are looking at a reality that has, you know, a 25% tariff on every single product that would come in from China. The impact is being felt on industries worldwide. But what is the story behind the America-China trade war? 
So, the trade war, what have you guys been looking at? The US doesn't like that China is growing so fast and set to overtake uh, America as like the biggest economy in the world if it hasn't already by certain measures, right? Basically, China and US are kind of caught in this race of imposing tariffs on each other. So US slaps a high tariff on certain products and then China retaliates. It's multiple industries across multiple markets. It's huge. And I think right now would be a really good time to look at what's happened and how it could impact the world from now on. At The Economist, we've been covering the trade war extensively. Sumeya Keynes is our trade and globalization editor, based in Washington, D.C. How did this whole trade war kick off? How did this whole trade war start? For a long time, there have been frustrations that past American administrations had with the Chinese. On the 2016 presidential campaign trail, you started to see some really tough rhetoric. We can't continue to allow China to rape our country, and that's what they're doing. And so he, he gets into office, his United States trade representative, that's the kind of official trade negotiator, they're working on this big report. So they're essentially investigating China's economic practices. Essentially, the question they're asking is, has China done anything that would frustrate America's economic interests? And they find, surprise, surprise, yes. How long a history is there of uh, these complaints the U.S. has about China? These concerns go back for a really long time. And I think to understand them properly, you really need to go way back to the expectations that people had when China was thinking about entering the World Trade Organization. China's economic rise has been dramatic. In 1978, China's GDP at market prices was just 6% of America's. Last year, it had grown to 66%. When considering local spending power, China has already overtaken America. This unprecedented growth began with Deng Xiaoping. He started opening up China's economy to the world in 1978, and the country quickly became the world's factory. Over the next decade, exports as a share of GDP tripled, and by 1988, 15% of China's exports went to America. The World Trade Organization opened its doors to China in 2001, and it was America that ushered it in. Bringing China into the WTO is a win-win decision. It will protect our prosperity, and it will promote the right kind of change in China. After joining the WTO, China became an economic superpower. But people had expected the country to also become more like a Western capitalist economy. That didn't happen. America now claims that China achieved its growth by not playing fair. Are those claims justified? To find out the answer, I spoke with David Rennie. He's our Beijing bureau chief. There's two ways in which China certainly hasn't been playing fair. One way is just that China treats Chinese companies differently. So if you are a Western business, your Chinese competitor not only has better market access, but maybe the land that it built its factory on was given for free. Maybe it got a giant tax break. China just doesn't have a level playing field. There's then the really dirty stuff, stealing foreign companies' technology. If you ask Chinese officials about the accusation that China is stealing its way to the top, they will say, well, hang on, America steals secrets too, so why are you coming after us? The American government will tell you, sure, they spy and they steal stuff, but never for commercial purposes. With Donald Trump's election, 
in 2016, you had a president who actually set about getting tough with China once he was in office, and we'd never really had that before. The Trump administration has been using tariffs, or taxes on imported goods, to try to force the Chinese to change their ways. In July 2018, America imposed tariffs of 25% on $34 billion worth of Chinese products. That almost doubled the average tariff rate on Chinese imports, from 3.8% to 6.7%. And it's American firms that have to pay that tax. But with every increase from America came an increase from China. Since the start of the trade war, China has more than doubled its average tariff rate. America's has tripled. The fight has become overtly political because China's tariffs are hitting President Trump's voter base. Many counties where Trump won in the 2016 election were here in the Great Plains. And these are the counties most affected by China's tariffs. Someone who knows all about the impact tariffs are having beyond the data is Chad Bown from the Peterson Institute for International Economics. He's been analyzing international trade for decades, but the trade war has put his research in the spotlight. Some people have referred to it as, as my World Cup or, or my Super Bowl. It's something that I've been studying in the background for 20 years, and now all of a sudden the world seems to be interested in this. What role do tariffs play in, in a trade war? Tariffs are basically a, a, a tax, but it's a tax that's only paid for goods that are produced outside of the country in a, in a specific place. One of the things that China has done in its tariffs is it's imposed really high tariffs on American exports of, of soybeans. This is a huge product that farmers in Iowa and, and across the Midwest grow only to sell to China. So how are these tariffs and the trade war impacting the wider world economy? I think at some level we're seeing uh, the decisions that businesses make be affected by this. Nowadays, they're not sure what markets are going to be open to them in the future, and that's going to impact their investment decisions. The International Monetary Fund, the IMF, they expect economic growth to be a lot lower um, in the future because of the tensions arising during the trade war. The global economy is, is slowing down, uh, and everybody's increasingly concerned about that. As things stand now, a ceasefire in the trade war could be drawing near. The two leaders are hoping to agree on a phase one deal soon, which could mean some tariffs being lifted. The Trump administration wants China to buy more American produce and tighten up their intellectual property rules. If that phase one deal is signed, will it be the beginning of the end of the trade war? I took that question back to Samea. The Americans are hugely ambitious for, for the kinds of changes that they would want from the Chinese, but those ambitions I don't think will be reflected in the preliminary phase one deal. The Chinese government wants its economy to do well and wants its citizens to, to get richer. To the extent that the Americans persist in demanding these big changes to the Chinese economy, it's going to be really difficult to, to get a deal. Even if there is a phase one deal, there will be a lot of issues still to be resolved. But there's more to the trade war than just tariffs. America has also imposed restrictions on some Chinese firms, especially ones in the tech industry. We cannot allow any other country to outcompete the United States in this powerful industry of the future. Specifically over one Chinese company. Huawei can offer cheaper prices because they are heavily subsidized by the Chinese government. 
We've made another film that looks closely at Huawei and why the West is worried about it. It includes a rare interview with Huawei CEO Run Zhengfei. And we looked into how these tensions will impact American industries already dependent on Huawei technology. The biggest issue, I think, with all of this political turmoil surrounding the Huawei name is uncertainty. You can watch the Huawei film right now by clicking on the link opposite. And if you want to learn more about the trade war, you can click the other link where you'll find uh, all the research we used to make this film, as well as other articles we've written, including a special report by David Rennie. And as always, if you liked what you saw, hit that subscribe button. All right, so hopefully that explains a little bit about more about what's going on. And, um, you know, uh, just an article from CNBC.com. They, um, they wrote this two days ago saying presidential or President Donald Trump on Friday said that a long negotiated trade deal with China is potentially very close following reports that an agreement might not be reached until next year. Uh, Trump was speaking on one of its fa his favorite television programs, Fox and Friends, the morning after House Democrats wrapped up a second week of public impeachment hearings. The bottom line is we have a very good chance to make a deal, Trump said. But while both sides say they want to work out an agreement, Trump told Fox he is not anxious to hash one out, claiming that the U.S. benefits from tariffs on Chinese imports. The so-called Phase 1 deal with China has yet to be completed, even though Trump announced that the two economic superpowers had come to a very substantial Phase 1 deal more than a month earlier. All right. So, you know, I guess that answers one of our question. Is prices going to go up for Black Friday and our Christmas shopping experience for this year? The answer, probably not, because they will not uh, impose the 15% tariff increase until December 15th. And as I understand it, it was on like smartphones and toys and some kind of clothes, etc., etc., so I think we're safe on the price hike, but uh, I also mentioned will there be product on the shelves? And the reason why I mention that is because lately I've been hearing from different sources about products not being there. Like for example, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about um, dishwashing liquid uh, being off the shelves at Walmart, that they didn't have enough. Now, I don't know if dishwashing liquid is made out in China or here, or maybe they get components from China to make it here. I'm not sure. But, you know, then I hear, you know, I go to Red Lobster. They say, well, there's a broccoli shortage. And so, you know, I don't know where all these shortages all of a sudden are coming from. Uh, there was a canned food shortage at one point during this year. And I don't know if this all has anything to do with... Uh, you know, this trade talks and whatnot. But I do know that a lot of companies that manufacture in China are trying to look elsewhere, like Vietnam or Indonesia or Malaysia to, to do their products because uh, they don't want to have to, you know, have to pay higher prices to manufacture their goods. That's why they moved to China from America because it costs too much to manufacture here. 
So they are looking elsewhere. But in the meantime, if they're not producing whatever it is that they produce, then uh, they, <laughs> you might hear my cats in the background there. They're wrestling on the bed. <laughs> If you hear cats squealing, that's what it is. But anyway, so that's might be why there might be a product shortage. Um, because the companies are maybe not producing as much out of China, or they are looking at other venues to produce. And, uh, you know, they might be in the middle of a move from China to Vietnam, or Malaysia, or Indonesia. All right. So I hope that makes it a little bit more clear about how your Christmas shopping experience will be this, uh, this uh, Christmas season this year. But we are nearing the end of our show. So if you have any ideas on any products or services that you would like to hear on the show, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Also, if you, you know, have a, a product that you would like to tell us whether you really loved it or you didn't like it for some reason, you can also email me at ConsumerReviewReport at gmail.com. You know, maybe uh, something you know you bought something and it didn't turn out the way that you liked or maybe it exceeded your expectations you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com i'm also on facebook at consumer review report and on twitter at crr in mckeesport so this ends our November 24th, 2019 edition of the Consumer Review Report on WMCK.FM Internet Radio. I'm Diane Rebecca wishing everyone a safe and good week. <laughs>